And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another meaningful conversation that should help your business grow. Now, if you want your business to grow, you're probably going to need to learn something about sales and marketing along the way. And a popular question or goal that many can, could, or probably should have is how do you advertise like a big brand? Especially how are you, how can you be a baller on a budget? So I brought someone in with me today to help answer those questions. Now, before I introduce him, I do need to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. With me today, I've got Robert Brill. Robert is the CEO and founder of Brill Media. You know I like it when you're interactive, so scroll on down to those show notes and click the link for brillmedia.co so you can get... Check out what he's doing while he's telling you about it. Robert, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. This is amazing. Yeah, and we're glad to. I, I'm ready to learn all about this because being a baller on a budget is high on my priority list. But yeah, when it comes to sales and marketing, like there's a lot of interesting approaches. You don't have to have a Super Bowl budget uh, to have a Super Bowl approach. Uh, but before we get into any of that, why don't you let everyone, what, what's your backstory, man? G give us a little bit of background about you and how you got to today. Sure. So um, I've been in advertising for 17 years, started uh, my agency career working at Universal McCann then moved to Starcom. I've touched big brands, Sony Pictures, Disney, Capcom, Bacardi, Toshiba, PetSmart, Mercury Auto Insurance, um, some NBA and NHL. And, you know, the in, in around 2013, I saw that there was a really big opportunity. And the big opportunity was, was this. I'd spent so much time helping the largest brands in the world grow. I wanted to take the tools and data and machine learning and just overall expertise and capabilities and make them available to non-Fortune 500 brands, whatever's smaller than that, right? And so that's the thesis for our business, help brands advertise like the Fortune 500 without spending a fortune, or as you put it, um, being a baller on a budget. I like that a lot better. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned getting into this or seeing an opportunity in 2013. And while that doesn't feel like a long time ago, the I, I've said this to many people and including our listeners, um, you know, we're in this golden age of access, like the kind of tools and stuff that in 2013 was only affordable or maybe accessible or within the grasp from an expertise level in 2013 is way different than now. I mean, you've got literally an unlimited amount of quote things that can help you with that is part of your approach trying to help people understand what those things are or how to use them. Yeah, I mean, look, everyone can start an advertising agency right now. All you got to do is 
uh, create a login on Facebook and Google and you have access to a lot of great data. I mean, it's not that difficult, but what you can't compensate for is the experience that is necessary, the theory, the understanding, the backstory to get you to a point where you actually do marketing correctly. Yeah, you're right. In 2013, there were a lot of gatekeepers. In 2020, there still are a lot of gatekeepers. The sort of term that is generally going away, but is has been a sort of catch-all phrase for all these gate, gatekeepers is called programmatic or programmatic advertising, which is inclusive of ad exchanges and real-time bidding and all this really complex stuff that has to do with economics and algorithms and machine learning. But, you know, the reality of it is that, you know, we just have the opportunity. I've, I've been lucky and been able to learn this marketplace over the last decade and, we just take everything we know about this ecosystem and we do away with all the minimum spends and we do away with the jargon. We rarely even talk about programmatic and we just go into like, here are the five or 10 different things that any small business can do today to make their business grow, whether it is on Facebook and Google, which is a complete, which are two completely democratized platforms or other platforms, including the trade desk and media math and RTBIQ and simplify and all these other great platforms. So our subject is advertising like a big brand. And I, if you're out there and you own a big brand, call me. I want to talk to you. I got a lot of questions. Now, you probably don't. So you mentioned some, you know, there was five to 10 things. We don't have to list them all. But what are a couple things that that we need to get started in order to begin to, uh, other than contacting you for some potential help in your company. And once again, link in the show notes. Now, hey, by the way, if you feel intimidated by all of this stuff and words like programmatic, you might want, you might be better off to contact a digital marketing agency. That said, um, what are a few things that if we decide to take on this brave approach and figure it out, like where, where do we get started? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm writing a, a guide right now, which I'm in the middle of developing, which is a like how to generate, how to do lead generation, right? Uh, how to create the content, how to do the advertising and marketing. And when it's done, it'll be on our website and you can download it. And the core thing that I just wrote over the last few days is this idea of mirroring. Like you really have an opportunity in 2020 to identify the key characteristics of who your customers are, what they need, what they want, what their motivations are, what what their lifestyle is, what their mindset is, and mirror that. You know that someone is optimistic and positive and needs a dentist? Show someone happy and smiling and excited, happy that they found a dentist. The ability to mirror the targeting audience with the creative messaging is unlimited and very scalable. It doesn't take a lot of money or really, frankly, a lot of time to develop a, a, an ad that targets men 18 to 34 with an ad that features a man who's 18 to 34 consuming the product that you're selling. It's actually very straightforward. You have stock images. So the idea of mirroring, really showing the customer who they are in the ad and doing a lot of that, do five, 10, 20, a hundred different micro segments that help you really hone in on the customer. Start with, with the opportunity and then you can go a lot of different places to optimize the campaign. Yeah, and I think on some of that, I'll parlay off that from my own experience. Start simple. Um, so many of you listening probably found Startup Hustle from our uh, now somewhat well-known uh, image that literally just says a podcast for entrepreneurs. Like, what else do I need to say? Like, that's what it is. 
And if that gets your attention and you click it, then the job of the paid advertisement is done. Now, what you do on the other side, but so many people I talked to said, well, I tried CPC cost per click and it didn't work. Uh, well, if it drove traffic, it worked. What you did on the other side of the click might be what you need to examine. So now with that, do you have a couple like, all right, so let's say that we made a simple ad. We narrowed it down to who we think our, our target audience is. What are some common things that people are making big errors with when it comes to where the where the uh, visitor arrives at? Well, so the, the the biggest error that the biggest issue that I have that I that I hear often is that people think that advertising advertising should work, like you should see kind of like immediate results. Now that doesn't mean that the results are going to be the best results, but you should be seeing something. Um, and and the, the common error that I see is like expecting the media not to work, running a lot of money running advertising, and it continues to not work, and you continue to spend money on something that doesn't work. Like you should know. It, within a couple of weeks, what direction to take it to make it work. It, it's not always a slam dunk. Advertising and marketing are not silver bullets, but you should have a plan of action. As far as the landing page goes, you know, the, there's three different places a person can convert with your, with your business. It's your landing page, which is certainly very different than your website. Your website for a lot of companies, especially small and mid-sized businesses, often is a brochure. It's often not updated. And it's often not written to compel a purchase or to generate a lead. So the landing page has to really be something that the consumer um, is a persuasive message. Hey, I, I saw an ad or I came through Google search and um, I'm looking for something. And the landing page tells me exactly what we're offering, exactly what you should be downloading and why you should be downloading it. And it gives me a form or a button to click on that immediately gets me to to you know, download a white paper or buy something. The more complicated the message or the more complex the writing or you put too much on the landing page, you, you're confusing the customer. The customer has seconds to make a decision and the landing page needs to speak to that decision-making process in seconds. So, you know, one of the things, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, when you clutter and you put too much, it, a confused mind almost always says no. Um, I mean, you can count on it. And, it, you know, the, remember the point. OK, so I mentioned an ad, the, a podcast for entrepreneurs that our landing page is literally the Apple podcast app. So with that, we narrow the ads down to people that have entrepreneur startup related interests. And then so there's a, a goofy thing with some social media when you ever get that that issue or error. It's like you're about to leave Facebook. You're about to leave Instagram. A lot of people don't want to do that. They, we've been trained to like say no to that in so many ways. So with some of those ads and because 65 percent of all podcasts are consumed through the Apple podcast app, we only serve those ads to iOS users. So if you're listening, you're probably using an Apple device. Why? Because it pops up. It doesn't give you that message. It opens the podcast app for you right there. That subscribe button's right in front of you. And that has a lot to do with it. So, you know, sometimes the marketing side of things can be tough because you don't know where you're going to like podcast, using podcasts as an example, dude, people listen to podcasts on like a zillion different things. So where are we going to send you? And 
you know, the same thing with the landing page, like be specific. If you're, if you're all right. So at full scale, we sell tech services. If we're advertising for mobile developers and that's the ad that you click, you should go to a page that talks about our particular, like, mobile development experience and the not doing that is going to reduce your effectiveness of your ads like significantly will you confirm that yeah absolutely i mean the the more you can have a closed loop ecosystem where you know which ads which targeting which creative drove the performance the better off you are and the landing page it it's the thing is uh, marketing and advertising is an art it's an art and a science right the science is knowing the technical elements of how the tools work but the art of it is use is connecting the technical stuff to what you know about human behavior and being able to see the trends in the data and make a decision about where you should go and know that you know one of one of the one of the things that we often do is we set up a testing framework and it's it's brave to go into a conversation and say, I don't exactly know what's going to work, but I do know how to find the right path. And if you give us enough time and you're able to work with us, make the right changes, we can get you down to a place that works. But it's brave to say, I don't know what's going to work because I don't know if it's the blue background, the, the image with the blue background or the red background or the image with the man or the woman or what words or combinations. I can, I can get you close. But if you don't have the testing framework, which means you don't have the theory, which means you don't understand marketing, if you don't have that stuff, it's a problem to get things to work. And people often quit on marketing too early in their journey because they're trying to DIY. If I had to DIY fixing my car right now, I would break the car. I'm just not good at yeah, it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I don't think that me working on my own car would be a good idea. Now, in some cases, though, there are things I can do my to my car that I feel comfortable with, mainly putting air in the tires or adding oil or something like that. Now, we talked about tools and tech. I'd like to I'd like to get a little deeper into that because, as we mentioned at the top of the show, that it's a brave new world for a lot of tools out there. Um, when you sit on the outside of a lot of this stuff and you look at it, it you can immediately become intimidated by the, th it's, it's, it feels scary. Do you want to do an AB test? Do you want to do this? Do you want to use our, our machine learning to determine this and to determine that? Like, once again, keep it simple. But when it comes to tools, automation and tech, like, what are you, what are you using or suggesting to people when it comes to the big, the big box and the big brand approach? Yeah. So where do you want to take this? Do you want to talk about marketing technology? Do you want to talk about advertising technology? What, where do you want to talk about landing pages? Which part of that do you want to go into? Or is it all of it? Well, whatever. Any of it, any of it. Cause you know, like I said, there's a zillion things. And uh, you know, I, I've mentioned in my own writings and other stuff that sometimes the built-in tools like at Google CPC, like, remember, they want you to spend as much money as possible. That's not necessarily the right approach. Like, I ignore some of the built-in tools that come from some of these platforms because they want you on a, at least a little bit to kind of learn the hard way. But yeah. um, you so, know, is, is there an approach or, or suggestion that you give people with any? Yeah, I mean, our the platforms that we use the most include the Trade Desk, MediaMath, Vistar, Facebook. And, you know, like these you know, platforms, for example, the Trade Desk and Media Math, um, they're gatekeepers and you can only really access them if you're spending a certain amount per month. And, but the thing, the reason why we use them is because they have 
a tremendous amount of data. In one of these platforms alone, I estimate there's about 500,000 different targeting segments. Then I would go further and say that there is an infinite amount of combinations that you can turn on with when you think about so when you think about data from parties like Oracle, Axiom, and Nielsen, then you look at data from Grapeshot and Factual and Pure39. So Grapeshot and Pure39 are contextual targeting companies. What these companies do, and there's other ones, Double Verify, Integral Ad Sciences, et cetera. What these companies do, they allow us to serve ads on pages that are about a specific subject, whether that subject is um, broad, health, or specifically about uh, you know some re- um, pens. I have a pen in my hand, and let's say I'm shopping for a pen, and let's say this is Mont Blanc. I have a Mont Blanc pen, which I'm super excited about, right? So let's say I'm Mont Blanc and I want to market myself, and I want to market to people who are really interested in pens. So I can serve ads on pages that are only talking about fancy pens. If there are pages that are ad supported talking about fancy pens, you know, another example we we have a podcast called the LA Business Podcast. It's relatively small, but, you know, recently we talked to um, a woman named Catherine Grandy and Catherine Grandy is a head of marketing for a brand called Cosmic Crisp and Cosmic Crisp is apples. They manufacture apples, like this brand of apples. And you know what? For her, I said, if you want to get people really interested in apples, serve ads on recipe pages where your people are baking apple pie so that when they go to the market, and they know they want to buy an apple because they want to make an apple pie, serve them an ad for Cosmic Crisp apples. Or if you're Giradelli, you can serve ads on not just apple pie recipes, but any recipe that calls for caramel if you want to, if you want to market your caramel product. So it gets very granular by domain, by keyword, and by URL. So for our business, when we do marketing, you know, when we do banners for our business, We will serve ads on a very limited number of pages that talk about programmatic and digital advertising. Because if someone is talking about email marketing, that might be relevant to us, but it's not as relevant to us as people who are talking about these keywords around digital advertising. So you can get very granular. And that goes back to the, the core idea of being a baller on a budget, which is you don't need to be everywhere. You kind of just need to be everywhere to a very narrow group of people and create repetition that way. Now, one of the things, you know, talking about keywords and where you can decide to be, uh, advice that I give many people that are pursuing the construction of their own marketing plan is to also think about where you don't want to be. You can put in a lot. I mean, I think the negative keywords and so a negative keyword, if you were advertising through Google, would be don't show me for these things, because I I think a lot of people, they set up a campaign and they start to advertise and they're like, yeah, but I got a bunch of clicks for search terms and things that aren't even related to what I sell. Well, the problem is, is you were too broad. And much like Robert stated, like you're trying like a total addressable market of a hundred million people is probably too big for you unless you sell like water or something that, yeah, something that every single person needs. So, you know, some of the negatives and I'll use it. So gigabook, uh, gigabook gigabook.com is something that uh, full scale owns. And, uh, you know, with that, when we first went out to do some advertising campaigns, we spent a shitload of money on accident. Well, I'd say accidentally, but maybe not knowing better on people that were looking to make an online appointment at the DMV. So the terms online appointment 
by themselves triggered our ads for people that were Googling online DMV appointment. And we burned through a bunch of cash before we figured that out. Now we had to go through and you can, you can be very clever and very specific about what you're excluding yourself from as well. Um, so I think that that's an important part. It takes a little bit of thought. Uh, you know, you can do a little research on it. There's different ways to do that, but if you're positive, that you like, you know, when it comes to, well, let's talk about the total addressable market. Cause I think some people that they look at it, they're like, Oh my God, I could advertise to like 200 million people. That is not a strength. That is like actually strikes fear in my heart when I think about that. So wh where do you go? Like, what's your, what's your uh, input when it comes to total addressable markets that are massive? Yeah, I mean, there is no there is no massive total addressable market. There's always very narrow precision total addressable markets, right? To your to your point, you don't you, no one has a 200 million user um, market, like like you said, unless you're water. But even that, it that's not the way it works. Like you, I actually go the other direction. I want very narrow. I want to pinpoint the signals that people give that give that people give us based on where they go and what they're surfing for and. Uh, what they buy, I want those signals to tell us what they're interested in, right? Um, and so, and so we're looking for narrow. We're not looking for broad. Broad is is the antithesis of where we want to go because broad doesn't usually doesn't work. The way broad works, the reason I think why some people think that to you know having a large addressable audience is valuable is because when you look at how advertising developed over the course of the last 50, 60 years, you know, when you had three major broadcast networks and you could reach like a third to half or, or more of, of the whole United States by running one ad on one show in prime time, that was good because that was the best thing you could do at the time. And and today, my the way I look at it is I would say the vast majority of the people who saw that ad aren't going to be interested in buying that product no matter on what show it is. So you have these large brands who are really focused in on like media mix modeling and media mix mo modeling really goes into if I run television commercials and I reach 1% of the total population or 1% of um, or a certain percentage of the population in a specific audience, like let's say males 18 to 34, if I do that with a bunch of other things happening, then I know that I'll get X amount of sales lift, which is which is the way large brands have typically grown their business because it's it's hard to direct your business incrementally when you just don't have a direct relationship to the customer. When you sell, for example, Hershey's at CVS or Kroger or Ralph's, you don't really know who the customer is. You don't have a direct relationship to what ad they saw that ended up having them buy the product. But for, for the vast majority of us, even for those large brands like Hershey's, you now have the ability in 2020 to be able to develop a relationship with at least a subset of those people by capturing email addresses, by looking at cookie data, by looking at device ID data, and within the within the legal framework, being able to remarket and develop a relationship with those people and have sort of like one-to-one -one communications, even though the technology allows for one-to-many, but you can develop those one-to-one -one relationships with a one-to-many approach. 
And, you know, in regards to creating a, an advertising campaign or an approach that is similar to a big brand, now hoping to have the next big brand, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Now, the one thing that is, is in my opinion, puts so many uh, a business at any stage or size on a on a equal playing field is data. Like all these things that we've been talking about, whether it's Facebook, Google, or something else, they're, they're collecting all this data. They're, that data is valuable for the reasons that we are discussing. So people with some people that <clears throat> might not know better will consider that, oh, well, Coca-Cola can just advertise to anybody. They are probably the ones that are, big brands are the ones that are the most, are the best at targeting on many days. They do look at the data, but here's the thing is, we're not all data scientists. You don't need to be a scientist or a PhD to be a data scientist, by the way. I taught myself the basics of data science on a flight home from the Philippines with a, with a two-pack of Audible books. Like, it's just about look at some of that. You can be a junior data scientist, but these platforms go to help with some of that. What's your input when it comes to data, understanding it, and maybe how to not be afraid of it? Yeah, I think in terms of filters, I think about excluding audiences. I think about 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 excluding people who are not primed for my message right in 2020 you have the ability there, there's a great book um robert cialdini um I, I can't remember the name of the book it's actually behind me i can't oh the art of persuasion it's like um that's uh, like that's that's been out for like 50 years hasn't it yeah there's one of them about persuasion and then a newer one called persuasion and in, in the book, Persuasion, they talk about a user who is a person who is primed to accept your message. And oftentimes this, in this book, he talks about, you know, if you give somebody something for free, they feel automatically obliged to kind of at least hear you out. And it, it, he talks about, you know, those, um, the, I think it was the, the certain type of Buddhist monks who would be in the airport, they'd hand you a flower and people who were, who were, who accepted the flower were much more likely to like give something back in return. Right. So I'm not talking about those types of things. I'm talking about everything we do tells me what you're, what I'm interested in. If I go, I love cold stone creamery. I used to work there when I was a kid. I like ice cream. I'm a foodie. If, if, if the data shows that I walk into cold stone creamery a couple times a month, what do you know about me? I like ice cream. So give me an ad for ice cream. When you talk about Coca-Cola and these other brands, it's a full democratization of advertising. You, you can run on the exact same pages like Food Network or Yahoo or AOL or your favorite blog, big name brand or small name, you know, small blog. You can run on the exact same pages as the largest brands in the world. The difference between Coca-Cola and Joe's Bakery down the road is that Joe's Bakery has a budget of $500 and they're only serving a smaller, you know, a far fewer number of impressions than Coca-Cola who has 500,000 for this one campaign. And they're serving a lot more ad impressions. Joe's Bakery needs 20 new customers. Coca-Cola needs 100,000 new customers or repeat customers out of that $500,000 budget, making it up, right? So scale is different. 
but you could be on the exact same pages in the exact same newsfeed as the largest brands in the world. You just got to filter your audience and to the 20, you know, to the 500 or a thousand people who might be seeing your ads, you're everywhere. Joe's Bakery is everywhere, especially if you do, do a geo radius so that everyone who's, who's into food, who's two miles around Joe's Bakery, keeps seeing Joe's Bakery ads. The next time I want a cinnamon roll, I'm going to go to Joe's Bakery because I keep seeing their ads. It's like they're everywhere. And to, and to your point, when it comes to, you know, excluding things, you know, figure out how, if you okay, if you are Joe's Bakery, how far is someone likely to actually travel to go to Joe's Bakery? So, and you know, so like if that's, if you don't think that that's very far, like you shouldn't be advertising even to your whole city, you should be in this like very finite area. And now, and also like how many of them do you have? Like if you're all over the city, that's a different thing. Now I live in Kansas city, very spread out. And, you know, there's things and I live on the, in the suburbs on the South side, there are things that may only exist downtown or in the North side. They can advertise to me all day. I am not likely if ever to get in my car for a specific trip to there. Yeah, of course. So the solution to that, there's, there is the freeway and then there's the, the, the way that costs money and both of them are relative. The one that costs money is not, not particularly expensive. The freeway, the, the, the inexpensive, the no cost way is to simply like do a, a, a non-scientific poll, ask your people, the, your customers, where, where, how far did you come or where do you live or are you in the neighborhood? And you'll get a sense if people are between one and five miles around your address, or if you're in a far spread out area, 20 miles, right? And you can get a sense. That's step one. Step two, if you really want to spend like one or $2,000, you can do a, you can pull a report and the report will identify the device IDs, the mobile devices. And let me just take a tangent real quick. Your mobile device is like a tracking tag. Your mobile device has a unique identifier. It, it tells different data companies where you are, and we have the ability to target those devices. Other companies will do an analysis of the devices and say, before they walked into Joe's Bakery and after they've left Joe's Bakery, how far did they travel? And you can get a sense, like 50% of the people travel two miles to go to Joe's Bakery, and then the maximum 100% of people traveled five miles. So you know that like, if you wanna run ads, you can do between two and five mile radius around the location. So that's your, your trade area. But either way, you run ads for a month or two and you can see, and you, if you break out with a testing framework, you can determine, look, when I run ads one to two miles, up to two miles around my area, I get a higher click-through rate than people who are three to five miles out. The data tells you people are really a lot more interested when they're two miles around your address. So you start with a we you start with a thesis. I think X will happen. I think X is true, and then you use the data to test it, and then you know where to go. And that's the testing framework that ne that can never stop with a marketing campaign. No matter how far you go, you can never stop that testing. Now, a lot of people get shy when you mentioned if you're willing to spend a little bit of money on a report, like, oh, I don't want to spend money on that. The results of not doing some mild science, sciencing of that kind of stuff is probably more expensive and wasted impressions and ineffective advertising. So depending on what it is, because there's the thing, if you can really get a targeted campaign dialed in, it can change your business quickly quickly but like you said so I, if you listen to the show regularly you know what i'm about to say when it comes to my three favorite words when it comes to marketing test 
test, test. Now, I often tell people when I'm testing, I'm looking for a crack. And when I find it, my first priority becomes to shove an elephant through it. So when you're test, 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 you're looking for something that works, a whole lot of different stuff. And, you know, you mentioned uh, being able to tell if an, if an ad campaign is going to be effective. And like you said, weeks, I can actually tell in like four hours. Like I have a very good, I, I, I know I can, cause I can just tell, cause I've done so much testing and so many different things. Like, um, I, I mean, like really, especially with Facebook and, uh, and, uh, Instagram advertising, like I can just tell, like I can a thousand impressions in, which costs about five bucks. I usually begin to know after 3000 impressions, I know, like I can just tell cause it's very predictable. Um, now something that I think is important if you're going to advertise like a big brand is just to begin to wrap your arms around retargeting. And this is something that I don't think a lot of people understand on a novice level. Will you break down what retargeting is and give us some input? Yeah, it really remarketing is about staying top of mind among people who have expressed interest in your business, your brand, your page, your website. Really, so all it is is tracking people who have visited your site or your page or who have engaged with your post on Facebook, for example, and putting them in a special bucket and saying they are the priority to see our new advertising messages. There's a lot you can do there, but that's the, that's the fundamentals of it, right? You might, you might be spent, you might get, you know, 20,000 people to your website and you might be running ads to a total of a hundred thousand people, but those 20,000 people are particularly important because they actually went to your website and you can then filter, filter forward, right? You can say, I don't want to remarket to everyone who's been to the website I want only the top 20% of people based on the amount of time they spent on the website. So this goes back to the idea of filtering. You're, you're excluding different groups of people and you're making it so that you find the sweet spot, the Goldilocks zone, the place where you can say, look, if I get a bunch more of these people, these people turn into sales. And then you cut and dice the data a, a bunch of different ways. If you're doing e-commerce and someone puts something in their cart, but then abandons the cart, they end up not buying, you do cart abandon. And then, so anyone who abandoned the cart, they're seeing your banner ad or they're seeing your Facebook ad or Twitter or TikTok or LinkedIn, whatever the case is. And then you go a step further and you say, the people who are who abandoned cart, people who, who didn't ultimately buy, they should get a different type of message than someone who just visited your site for, the, for, for a couple minutes, right? Someone who's like about to buy, so their message should be, hey, we know, you're, we know, you, we know you want this. Maybe here's a coupon or here's a different message, or here's why this product is amazing, right? So now you get to, this goes back to, you know, you get to have a one-to-one -one relationship with the consumer. I know something critical about them, and I can use that knowledge to give them a message that will resonate with them more than all the other messages that they're going to get in the marketplace. Okay, so as we, as we are the signal flares up that we have raced through our time, but there's, we do have some additional time. I would like to talk about the actual brand messaging, like in your advertisement. I use the example, a podcast for entrepreneurs. Like you can't look at that ad for half a second and not know what we are pushing. 
which is the point people like, and I think that's where so many, especially young brands fail. They have like, okay, if I show you the G from Google, you will recognize that. If I show you things like that, you will recognize it. Uh, people don't know your logo. They don't know what it is, uh, especially if you're, you're brand new. Um, and then also like TLDR too long. Didn't read like, don't like a podcast for entrepreneurs straight into the point. Like if you can't show your, whatever you're laying out in your marketing campaign, if you can't show that to someone, you need to think of it as a flashcard. And if you flip it around and then just turn it right back, if, the, if whoever sees that can't say, what you're what you're selling or the benefit that you're selling and please don't un, look people buy the the benefits of the things of whatever you're selling what that does they don't the features are okay but the advantages are okay but the benefits are what yank the arm on the cash register so what are you what's your input as far as like the actual messaging goes and how to make anything that people will pay attention to you know, creatively, you you hit on a lot of the important points, right? Keep the message simple. Talk about the benefits. What I would say is if you're not good at it, hire someone who's good at it. Like I'm a math person. I like data. I like Excel documents. I've had to learn design. I've had to learn copywriting. And I'm and as me personally, I'm not a good copywriter. But I can tell you that I have people on our staff who we work with who are really talented copywriters and creative people for digital marketing, right? It's, it's, it's important to know how to write something that, that converts, that's persuasive. Um, so I defer to you, the benefits, talk about the benefits, keep it simple. You know, the key things for, from a media and data perspective is repetition is king. Show your logo. In fact, I was, I was just talking to, um, I was talking to someone yesterday we're, we're going, we have a cannabis marketing guide. And in the cannabis marketing guide, we show an example of a brand and the brand is they run ads and these ads are so like the logo is so tiny, which is the logo on the bag of the product. There's like five of these bags and they're really small. You don't know there's so much writing on the cop on the ad on 300 by 250 ad. You don't know. You can't tell what the brand is because I don't know what I'm looking at. It says the word vegan. Do I really want to think about vegan when I'm thinking about cannabis? Like, not really. Like, I want flavorful stuff, right? And just show the logo. Like, give the user uh, – Not that's not the only thing you should show, but you definitely need to have your logo repetition in your marketing so that people know that they're seeing the same messages from the same company so you formulate a relationship. And that's often missed, especially with Facebook ads because it's so easy to upload – a stock photo um, with Facebook ads, but you still have the benefit of having the logo that lives inside your page. Whatever you're doing, get the benefit of repetition with your logo. So there's another, I got another tip that I didn't lay out on the first one that I, I really want to make sure gets in there. Um, so it was one approach to say like a podcast for entrepreneurs. Another approach I learned, so I've written three books and my editor, Patrick Price, Patrick, thank you for teaching me this, by the way, lead with a need. I mean, because it's, it's, you know, it's like, so you can sell the benefits of something, you can be just straightforward, a podcast for entrepreneurs, like if you're, if you're an entrepreneur, and you like podcasts, you're probably going to click. Um, if you're happy afterward, I don't know, leave us, leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear it. But the, the thing is, is like, okay, so you mentioned cannabis, but tired of bad weed, you know, like, that's an example 
of leading with a need because that would get my attention. It would be straight into the point. You know, other things are, I mean, it could just, what, what's the problem you're solving? Because the person that has that problem, that will stand out to them. You know, like, you know, tired of bad marketing, you know, the question mark. And remember, you don't have, you're not making the sale with the ad image or text. You got to take them somewhere else after that. And your, your point of your marketing and your ad and your advertisement and your brand messaging is to get the buyer's attention, to have them remember what you do, but it's really to get them to take the next step, which is clicking. So what, what kind of input or advice do you have about just the message yeah. in that regard, like the need? When I talk, when we talk about the message, you know, we, 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 let's talk about our business for a moment. We operate in a in a business environment where there's so many people that talk about the things we talk about. There's so many companies. Cause like I said, literally anyone, everyone listening on this episode right now can go to Facebook and Google and call themselves an advertising agency because they can sell other people advertising. So when people hear about advertising and marketing companies, often it's the defenses go really up because they may have had bad experiences. They may have worked with someone who, who is inexperienced. So, when I think about the message, I start to think about the funnel and creating no like and trust. People have to know you, at least with your logo, get to know who you are. They need to know what you stand for. They need to like you and they need to trust you. So the messaging funnel is a little bit more complex. We start out with get your free recession marketing guide. And the recession marketing guide is 70 pages of research and growth stories and case studies and real world examples from what's happening in 2020 for companies that are doing marketing the right way right now, they don't have to be spending a lot of money, but they are, whatever money they are spending is working. And by the way, the companies who the research shows that and you'll gain anywhere between 4% and 300% revenue growth as the economy rebounds, if you do marketing right now, because you're creating no like and trust. There's so many companies that are going under, you really don't know until they file for bankruptcy. And these companies who are going under, they are scarring consumers. Consumer trust is being eroded. So if you're in the marketplace giving people something valuable, um, it's going to go a long way as the economy rebounds. So I think about the funnel. Give people something of value in exchange for an email address or or don't even ask for an email address. You can Like one of our ads, we drive people to a 2020 contextual targeting uh, guide, which is just a blog post on our page. You can just read it, but you're in our remarketing pool now and I get to remarket you with additional messages. So, so the messages that we really focus on are how can we give you value? How can we prove to you that we're smart? How can we prove to you that we know what we're doing? How can we prove that like we didn't just start this business, you know, six months ago and before that I was uh, selling, you know, dishwashers at Best Buy. Right, like I have, I have the tenure, and there's nothing wrong for people who have started a marketing agency six months ago who used to be watching selling dishwashers at Best Buy. We can help you too. We'll help, we'll, we'll help happily give you our guide so you can have something to go to the market with. We want to help everyone. You know, overall, like I said, it's about getting that attention. If you can, if your business can, so if you are on B two B. Uh, how you're going to help me sell more, spend less, or preferably do both. If you're advertising to a consumer, um, one of the things that I, it took me a little bit to learn, uh, hey, you can't put a price on peace of mind. Uh, so solving something that like solving a, 
anything that uh, that that a buyer, client, user, anyone finds annoying, if you can eliminate that, they'll be way happier than so many other things. Uh, saving time, saving money, once again, raising status, um, things that uh, okay, uh, a deal. I mean, get, Lord, the whole entire marketing industry was built around the deal. Um, you know, and just, I mean, there's so many different things, uh, you know, that, that, you know, just do a quick Google search on the reasons that people buy and you'll find that that is, that hasn't changed maybe forever. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff and, and once you get behind that, so what's the problem you're trying to solve? Um, why am I credible to do it? you know, a lot of that different stuff. So once again, with us today, Robert Brill, Brill Media, you can find a link in the show notes. That's brillmedia.co. We end episodes of Startup Puzzle with what we call the Founders Freestyle. So I'm going to, I'm going to shift you a little bit. Um, so as the founder of a marketing company, what is, if you were going to give me any, just one piece of advice about marketing for my startup, what would that be? Think about who your customers are, what they're interested in, and how you can use different targeting data sets in Facebook and Google to reach those people. Look for an audience of 20,000 to 2 million people who might be buyers and test and test and never stop testing until, as you said, you find a crack and you fill it with an elephant you break it, right? Find the thing that you can do repeatedly that will allow your advertising to drive your business forward. And don't stop. You know, a lot of, like like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people think marketing doesn't work for them because, because they're special, because their business is special, because they're special, because the product is unique. Chances are marketing works for your business. <laughs> Uh, any, any, but I would love to have a very, a challenging debate with anyone that says that, I mean, it's a, you, if you're, if you're, if you're saying that marketing doesn't work or can't work for your business, then you're probably not good at marketing. I mean, I'm just being honest. I mean, that's just probably the case. Um, th that's a closed minded approach to different stuff. Uh, I, I, I don't like that approach. Like get out there and figure out what works for you. One, I think I, I'll in my founders freestyle by making a suggestion that for whatever, if you're not going, if you choose to go at it alone, master a platform, get good at one of them with don't try to do all, like 10 different ones at the same time. It's okay. I don't have a problem with you picking two or three, especially in the beginning to see where your results might be. But if you're not trying to become an expert at, well, whatever it is, figure out where your people will be. Like if you sell crafts or something like that, you need to be on Pinterest, not LinkedIn. Um, so figure out where that's at and become a master of that. Uh, I see a lot of people try but test, test, test doesn't mean test 90 things at the same time. It means have a couple different things going or have a couple different types of things going. Uh, easy example would be like on Instagram, you can be in stories, you can be in explore, or you can be in the feed. Like now for us, we, we became champions of the feed. 
the stories and the other things were not good for us. Uh, but we were able to quickly look at the data and see that when we appeared in certain places that our average click, which was the win for us in that regard, was three times more expensive. So we just simply revised the campaign, keep narrowing it down and narrowing it down. I mentioned earlier, even just some mild assumptions, like if 65% of podcasts are listened to through the podcast app, I'm okay with making the assumption that if you have an iPhone, that's probably what you use or it's a good start. And I think the last thing I want to add is look for little blockers that could get in the way. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, that by serving an iOS ad, the alternative would have been that I get a, I get a, I get a pop-up that says you may be leaving Instagram. And now I've got to take you to a different landing page where you can choose Apple, Spotify, Google, you know, all of these things, YouTube, you name them all. And now I'm making you make another decision and then you bounce. I learned that with that approach, we had to get four clicks to get one result. So I was happier paying double for the iOS only results because it was actually half price compared to what we were doing. So you just got to kind of figure it out. And you don't like, like Robert said, you don't have to spend a gazillion bucks, just get out there and try some stuff, but, or call someone like Brill Media and have them do it for you. Um, it's one or the other. So uh, with that, I'm going to get back to checking some of my results. I'm making to make sure I'm being brilliant on the basics. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Matt. This was awesome. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.